excited to be here today. Um, my name is Joel Slater. My wife, Amy, is with us. Uh, we brought one of our four children, Jasper the Disaster. Um, he's uh, enjoying tearing apart your nursery right now. We, we enjoy you having a nursery, just period, so uh, we apologize for the mess afterwards. But uh, uh, three of our kids are uh, with their youth group uh, hearing from God um, at their winter retreat, and so we wish they could experience you, and hopefully they'll come back. But we are privileged to be here. Uh, I met Pastor Kelly uh, many years ago when we were both on the Young Leaders team, and apparently now we're not, you know, but, uh, you know, we're wiser, hopefully, but I've been hearing such great things about his leadership in your church, so it's a pleasure to be here with you today. And uh, I'm excited to share with you uh, our call to the nation of Malawi, and we're going to get into that, but I, I think it's even broader than that. Um, I'm excited to know that you're, you've been in a series called Resolve, and you've been talking about New Year's resolutions. I understand that just uh, last week you were talking about dreaming and, and pursuing that dream. And we want to we piggyback on that today as we just encourage you to recognize that it's great to have a dream but everything, but you know, you've got to do something with it. That that dream that, that I believe that God put in your life was not meant to just occupy um, a, a random part of your day to be a distraction, but it's, it's really supposed to be the launching pad into a new uh, and preferable future. And uh, we want to we talk about how there's a great opportunity that God designed from the very get-go, from the very beginning, for every single one of us to take our dream in the broad sense and put it into action. And I want to I talk about that today when it comes you know, to a very particular action step, and, and we call that action step the power of an invitation. There's something very powerful about an invitation, and I'm just going to tell you kind of the bottom line from the very get-go, is that the power of an invitation is not that it's being extended. God is inviting you and I into his mission, into the mission impossible, to redeem the world, to, to begin to transform a community, this place, your neighborhood, your school, your family, you know, your, 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 your whole city, the state. You know, can we say, like, again, as you saw in the news, I mean, there's some states that need some transformation. And it's not up to somebody else, folks. It's up to us. And I want to tell you that God has designed a strategy with you and I in mind to touch our, 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 our commonly shared passion and problem. You see, you don't know me, and, and, I, and I don't know you yet, but I know this about myself, and maybe I'm the only one, but I think we have something in common, is that we have a passion and a problem. We each have some kind of a passion in the form of we want to do something significant with our lives. We want to be significant. I don't want to just convert carbon, uh, oxygen into carbon dioxide. I don't want to just take up space in this world and leave this world like it always was. I want to change the world in some way, shape, or form. Am I the only one here today? Okay, I didn't think so. I think every one of us has a passion to change the world, but I think we all struggle with a common problem. And we see this, uh, you know, I think we all have it, but I think our younger generation is emulating this because they can see more of what's going on in the world. They can see the opportunities. They can see what other people are doing and they struggle with, but I think we all struggle with it. It's FOMO, the fear of missing out. That maybe because of our choices, we took that job because we had to, and now we think we paint ourselves in a corner. Or we waited so long that now we, we think we've aged out. Or we think we're too young, and what, what can I do? Or, or my parents, you know, they do this, and I don't have that, and we never get to do anything. And, and so I guess I'm, just no, I'm never going to be able to do those things that I've always wanted to do. Can I tell you, God has an answer for that, and it's the mission of God. And it's, again, he's inviting you and I to pursue that dream in his will, to pursue changing the world. But it comes with this, the power of invitation. He's extending that invitation. Don't think you missed it. Don't think it's expired. Don't think that it's a one and done. It's always there. God is always extending the invitation. But the power of the invitation is when you accept it. 
The power of invitation is when you accept it. Think about all the times that you have accepted an invitation. Remember that first, that the first time someone asked you to be their boyfriend or girlfriend? Or better yet, when, when someone asked you to marry them? That idea that you know, if you haven't gotten there yet, don't worry, you will. But it's like that moment where somebody got down on their knee and I'm equal opportunity. So ladies, you can do this if a guy's not, you know, if a guy's not hurrying up. No, we believe in equal opportunity here. Everything and they invited you to be part of their lives. Imagine how that changed your life, hopefully for the better. Imagine when you, were, you applied to that college or you applied for that job or they, somebody offered you a promotion and you accepted it. And it, you, know, you came home or you, you called you know, your mom, dad, or someone and said, I got the job. My future just opened up. My opportunities broadened. Uh, now the promotion, the raise or whatever. I mean, it's more money, but it means more responsibility. But you, it changed your life. Imagine the power of accepting that invitation. Or, or maybe it's just the precious uh, assurance of, of just inclusion when someone said, hey, would you like to hold the baby? Would you like to hold this precious life? I'm going to trust you. Would you like to hold the baby? There's something powerful about an invitation. And bottom line, an invitation, you can just think of this. It'll be on the screen. The power of an invitation simply means this, that you are wanted. That you're wanted. We all want to be wanted. And don't believe the lie of the enemy that says no one wants you. God wants you. God wants you, but he wants, he doesn't just want you to sit in a pew or or see and everything. He wants you in the game. He wants you to play a significant part in his plan. He doesn't want you to sit on the sidelines. You don't just get to wear the jersey. You get to get in the game and you get to be the star in your special way. The power of invitation means that you're wanted, but here's the thing. Being wanted requires a response. It's not enough to just know you're wanted. It's not enough to just have a dream. You got to go after the dream. You know, you gotta, you got to pray as if it all depends on God, but you got to work like it all depends on you. But the power of invitation is that, that you're wanted, and being wanted requires a response. Amy and I know that full well. I've been a pastor for 19 years, 13 years in, in my home church. I had, I had a stability. I had, I had familiarity. I had comfort. I knew what I was doing every day, every week, every month of the year. I had an assistant. I, someone reloaded my stapler. I mean, I'm like, man, I didn't have to worry about nothing. And yet somehow we get this invitation to step away from all that comfort and all that stability and all that predictability and go to Malawi, the second poorest country in Africa, one of the least developed countries in Africa. We're in the Northwest and now God is inviting us all to the far southeastern part of Africa. Talk about about a radical invitation. But I'm I'm here to tell you something. When Jesus invites you into something, it's going to scare you. That's okay but it's gonna change you. And I hope that you realize that when Jesus invites you into, his, into a relationship with him, it better change you. If you're the same today as you were the day you accepted Jesus and everything, hey, you're not cooperating. Because his idea is that he loves you. Don't get me wrong. He loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. He wants to see you move further into his plan. And so when we accepted the invitation, it changed us. It didn't just change my job description. It didn't just change my work location. It changed my family. We went from just being a dad and a, and a wife and, and, and kids and just going through the, the, the American uh, routine. It changed us and we became something new. We became the Slater Six. We became the Slater Six and we have been invited by the nation of Malawi and the Malawian Sons of God to become pastoral trainers We believe that spirit-filled, biblically trained leaders are the hope of Africa. Can I tell you, spirit-filled, biblically trained leaders are the hope of any community. You cannot do this without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do the supernatural in the natural. 
But I'm here today that we need to know how to rightly divide the word of truth because there's a whole lot of information going on out there telling you this is what Jesus would do and this is how Christians should act and everything. And at the end of the day, if you don't know what the Bible says, if you don't stand for something, you're gonna fall for anything. And so at the end of the day, we need spirit-filled, biblically trained leaders and we need them in Africa. This is our story. Go ahead and run that. So put yourself in my shoes. What are you going to do when God invites you? I mean, what are you going to do? If God has put a dream in your heart and everything, and he knows it's not just meant to stay in your head, but it's meant to actually land on your, and motivate your feet, what are you going to do if Jesus invites you? And I'm asking you the question simply because the truth is he already has. He's already invited every single one in this room into his plan. And maybe you didn't recognize it, and maybe you overlooked it, or maybe you were too busy to notice it and everything. But at the end of the day, he makes it very clear and very simple so that we can't avoid it and plead ignorance. He puts it this way. He says, follow me. Jesus invites each and every one of us to follow him. And frankly, it's his favorite invitation. How do I know this? Because the Bible tells me so. So I'd love for you to look in your Bibles, or if you have the, uh, using the Bible app today, um, some of our notes are there and you can follow along. But in Matthew chapter four, starting in verse 18, there is a very simple, perhaps familiar story, but we believe it's powerful. And it's a story that illustrates these two words, follow me. No two words have ever changed the course of human history than these two words that Jesus used to invite a group of the most unlikely people imaginable into the most impossible task imaginable. And I, we really believe that this story so eerily follows our story as the Slater Six that it bears repeating. And I want you to, I want to play tour guide for a moment in this story as, as we just unpack some of the lessons that we're learning about the power of an invitation. And as we go through this, as we show you each element, I want you to keep asking the question, what am I going to do when Jesus invites me? What would I do if Jesus invited me? Am I, am I ready to respond? 
Am I ready to respond? So look with me in the story. And I, again, I want to play tour guide so much. I'm not going to teach so much. Let's play tour guide and show you a couple of things. And first, I want you to notice where the story takes place. When you read a narrative, especially in the Gospels or anywhere, a story in the Bible, I want you to notice where it takes place because there is a significance there. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, it says, while Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. Now, he's got to walk somewhere, right? But why Galilee? It's interesting. Galilee was the only place in all of where Jesus lived for his first 33 years, Galilee was the only place where people were open to new ideas and new teachings. Now, I love traditions, don't get me wrong. And there's some traditions we should stand on and some fight for and, and hold on. But the problem with traditions, we can get so comfortable in our traditions, we can so get comfortable in the predictability of it that we miss what God is doing. God is a creator God. God is an innovative God. Problems don't imitate, intimidate God. Problems are just a chance for God to shine and show who's in control. And the problem with traditions is we get so locked in them that we are blind to what God is actually doing. I mean, think about who, who Jesus was, looking, was, was dealing with all the time. The Pharisees. The Pharisees knew the Bible backwards and forwards. The, the, the Pharisees were, were committed to their traditions. They would fight for their traditions. They got angry when Jesus would violate their traditions. And the problem is Jesus said, you know, you're searching the scriptures for the Messiah. You're searching the scriptures for this deliverer, this one that's gonna come and, and, and change everything and do something new and everything. And guess what? He's right here. And you're missing him because you're so blinded by your traditions. And so they're not gonna follow Jesus. So Jesus has to find people who are willing to think outside the box and their comfort zone. So he goes to Galilee. And what does he find? He finds, he finds some people. Now, before I talk about who they are, I want you to see what they're doing. What they're doing. He says, it says, he was walking along the Sea of Galilee and he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, very important. But what were they doing? They were casting their net into the sea for they were fishermen. They were going about their daily work. That was where they were when, when Jesus invited them. You know, I love the altars and you should spend time at the altars. I was changed at an altar. I was filled with the Holy Spirit at an altar. As a, as a, as a, as a sophomore in high school, who I, who I thought Christianity was just a bunch of traditions and going to church all the time and it wasn't real, I, went, I accepted the invitation to come to an altar and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was like lighting the Mission Impossible fuse. Shh, it was gonna change everything because of the power of an invitation. And everything, and so, but it was, I love the altar, but so often the call of God will come in our ordinary, everyday routines. And it happened to us. I was in my office, I was working. I, I was planning the next month, next quarter, next year. And suddenly a phone call says, Joel, are you thinking of a change? And I was scared to admit, yeah, I am. I'm really thinking of a change. I don't know what that means. And he said, I'd like it for you to consider going on the mission field to Africa. I was just hoping that it maybe moved me like, you know, down to Albany or something like that. Now that's a big change. But suddenly, here comes this invitation. And, and, and how many of you can recognize those times where you were invited into something and then you argue with God? Not bad, not, not bitter, but everything. You just kind of like start kind of dancing with some questions. And the first question I had, because I had them, was this, God, do you really do this kind of thing? I mean, I'm set in ministry. I'm set in my ways. I'm 42 years old and everything. And like, you know, I've kind of missed the window, right? God, do you really do this kind of thing? Do you, do you interrupt the normality of life and, and invite people to leave their comfort zones? And and I wanted, to, I wanted to be a pastor, I wanted to be a Christian, so I looked in the Bible. Big mistake. Because I found his answer of all places in the book of Amos. You know, like the place we all spend so much of our devotional time. And I came across this statement and it shocked me. It said, it's Amos chapter seven, verse 14. It says, I am no prophet, Amos said, nor a prophet's son. I'm a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees. But the Lord took me from following the flock and the Lord said to me, you go and you prophesy to my people Israel. 
So apparently God can call you out of your comfort zone and what you've always known, and God can't call you into something more extraordinary. But how many of you want to know when you get an answer from God, and then you, you just fire back with another question, right? One question deserves another. And so I asked so the question, well, okay, thank you, but God, do you realize, here's the, here's the trouble, I'm so comfortable. I'm comfortable where I am. Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? God, you're supposed to give me a great life, a comfortable life, a secure life, a predictable life. But here's what we're learning as we accept God's invitation. Life begins at the end of your comfort zone. Think about the great things that you've accomplished in your life. It wasn't when you were comfortable, was it? It's when you stretched yourself. We've had the opportunity to go different places. And just this last week, we were in San Diego. And we had a chance to walk along the beach in San Diego in January. In San Diego. It was awesome. It was awesome. And we walked down this beach on Coronado Beach and everything. We got past all the shops and hotels and high-rises. And we came to a place where all that glitz and glamour ended. And we got to a place where it just kind of was this beach. But there was this kind of like compound right there. And it hit me as we walked down the beach. We had just walked to the very perimeter of Naval Base Coronado where they train the Navy SEALs. And I gotta tell you, those Navy SEALs know what it means. Life begins at the end of your comfort zone because their motto is the only easy day was yesterday. But they're the elites. They're the best of the best. They know what it's like to push themselves beyond their comfort zone and discover what they're really made of. And so we're, we're being challenged to leave our comfort zone and, and discover a life we didn't know was possible, but we're finding it anyway. And I want you to realize that God can call you into that as well, but you gotta be willing to push past the comfort zone. And, I, and it's not for the elite. It's not for the special people. It's not for the best of the best. I want you to notice who Jesus approaches. And before I talk about their specifics, I want you to just remind you this. this. When Jesus approaches these individuals, he's teaching us a lesson. And the lesson is this. He, Jesus always wants his relationship with you to go deeper. Wherever you're at in your relationship with Jesus today, that's not where he wants you to stay. He wants you to go to the next level. It's like, well, I, I'm serving or I'm giving or I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything. Great, that's wonderful. But where is Jesus calling you into more a deep, more intimate, more dependent, resilient relationship with him? Because he died, he died to, not to make you comfortable, but he died to make you extraordinary. He's calling you out of that comfort zone and, and he's calling every one of us. But when he, Jesus invites these, these men I want you to realize this. Again, he doesn't want his relationship with you to stay the same because the men he invites had already known Jesus. They were disciples of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. They knew him. They'd watched him. They'd heard him preach. They're like, yeah, he's good. Yeah, he, yeah, he's capable. Yeah, he might, he might have some promise. But Jesus says, you know what? I'm not satisfied with that. I'm not satisfied with a bunch of people that sit and listen to me on Sunday. I want you to get in the game. And so he goes up to these men and he extends the invitation. He says, don't just know about me. He says, follow me. He says, follow me. And following Jesus may sound scary. Getting into the game more deeply may more sound intimidating, but can I tell you this? Following Jesus should never be seen as a, some obligation to take on. It should be seen as an invitation into an adventure full of expectation. What can we expect when we follow Jesus? Well, I hope when you follow Jesus, you recognize that you're changing. And when we follow Jesus closely, we should at least, at the very least, here's the litmus test, Catch more of his heart. How much of your heart do you, do, uh, Jesus' heart do you have today, Neighborhood Church? How much of Jesus' heart, does your heart break for the things that break his? Does your heart move with the things that move his? Does your heart willing to give what his heart was willing to give? You gotta ask yourself the question. Henry Martin, the great missionary said, that the spirit of Christ is missions. Did you know that? The spirit of Christ is missions. And the nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we're gonna become. 
The closer we get to Jesus, we're going to see lost people in, the way, in a way we never thought before. And we're going to start saying, you know what, I'm willing to leave the comfort of assurance of a thick bank account or, or a lot of margin in my day and move into the things that God wants me to be involved in. And if I sound intense, it's okay because I simply gain inspiration from the story. Because don't, don't let it pass you by. When Jesus invites these men to follow him, he's not being casual about it. He's not, hey, if you have some time, you can, can you follow me? Hey, if you have a little bit more margin in the bank account, the budget of any kind, time, money, or, or endurance, can you follow me? No, the Greek phrase here is follow me now. He walked up to that boat and said, follow me now. He walked up to these men, looked them straight in the eye and said, follow me now. The urgency is there. Now is the time to follow Jesus. Now is the time to accept the invitation. Now is not the time to wait. Now is not the time to think of everything that could go wrong. Now is not the time to simply settle for the condition that you're already in. And here's the part that grabs us. The power of an invitation is not that it's been extended, folks. That's God. He's just good. He wants you. He, he doesn't need you. He wants you. The power of the invitation is not that it's been extended, but the power of the story is in their response. The story says he's, he invited them, follow me, and they immediately left their nets and followed him. Follow me now, folks. Now is the time for you and I to have courage. Find the courage to follow Jesus more deeply. Now is the time to follow courage. I'll give you some specific ways of doing it. Maybe this will touch you or someone else that you know. Now is the time to have courage to follow Jesus out of whatever addiction you're enslaved to. It's time to walk in freedom. It's time to follow Jesus away from the false promises of pornography, promiscuity, workaholism, and into a pure experience of real intimacy with no regret. It's time to follow Jesus in exchanging the assuring control of selfishness and lay it all down for the liberating surrender of selflessness. It's time to follow Jesus by admitting simply that you're wrong, you're broken. Guys, it's, it's time to stop trying to be the man of, of, of the world and be a man of God and find, you know, it's okay to be broken. It's okay to be imperfect. It's okay to admit that you need someone to rescue you, but it takes courage. And I'm here to tell you, you can play the game and push it off all, all day long, but the alternative to finding courage is not safety, it's regret. Andy Stanley said, without courage, at the very least, we'll accumulate a collection of good ideas, but at the end of the day, we'll probably accumulate a, a bunch of regrets. And I'm here to tell you, life is too precious, and Jesus' death and resurrection is too significant for us to simply play it safe. We've got to find courage and live for more than a few good ideas and settle with bearing a few regrets. But what does Jesus offer us? What does Jesus offer you in the invitation? Well, he offers you an opportunity to go from the ordinary to the extraordinary. He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. See, missions is God's strategy. It doesn't make sense in the natural. If I, if I pour my resources into it, what do I get back? I don't know. But at the end of the day, that's God's problem. But at the end of the day, somewhere in the future, when you stand face to face with God, you're gonna stand shoulder to shoulder with people that would not have come to know Jesus except if you hadn't gotten the game. That God in his mercy is gonna, invite, is gonna have this amazing reunion where people come and say, because of you, you don't know me, you never met me, but because of you, because you decided to step out of the boat, because you decided to follow Jesus more deeply, intimately, and passionately, and commit yourself full force to his mission, I'm in heaven because of you. It's not easy, and it's going to cost us something. And realize that when you follow Jesus, it's going to not just impact you. It's not private. It's going to go public. It's going to affect anyone and everyone around you. The story tells us. He 
says he went from there and saw two other brothers, James, Zebedee's son, and John, his brother. They were in the boat with Zebedee, their father, getting ready. They were working the job, and he called them. And despite of being in front of their dad and their dad being dependent upon them, hey, son, I built this business for you. Hey, um, my livelihood, my retirement is based on you. What did they do? They immediately left their boat and their father, and they followed him. Folks, why wouldn't we follow Jesus when he invites us? Now, I know what the thought that's in the room, I know I can read your mind, this one thing. I can't read, I can't read my own mind, but I can read your mind at the moment. And you might be thinking, well, yeah, but it's not that easy. Well, I, we came to discover this. There is no comfort in the growth zone. We'll acknowledge that. There's no comfort in the growth zone, but there's no growth in the comfort zone. If you want to grow, folks, you've got to be willing to get uncomfortable. And understand, it's not just the missionaries. The missionaries don't come here, and I'm not your surrogate. I'm not the one that does it so you don't have to. Folks, I'm telling you this and everything. I'm just simply, I'm just simply the guy that gets to be the, 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 the guinea pig. I'm testing this out, but I'm here to testify it works. Jesus isn't just inviting the Slater Six. He's inviting every single one of us into the growth zone. But I know in here some of you have some excuses, some yeah, but what about? Well, my wife Amy's going to come and talk to you about that here. Good morning. I think we can all agree there is nothing more exciting, more thrilling, and maybe just a little bit overwhelming than receiving a God invitation. Being invited means we're wanted, and I love to be wanted. I love that feeling. But as Joel said, being wanted also requires a response. Now, I don't know about you, but the biggest hindrance that stands in my way to saying yes to dropping my net and following Jesus is myself. Because I know my, my weaknesses, I know my insecurities, I know my past, my failures. And as soon as that invitation comes, it's the first place my mind goes. Well, I can't do this because of, you know, A, B, C, and D. Can you relate to that? When God sends and, and, and gives you that invitation, do you find yourself saying, God, I'm not smart enough for this? Or I have a past. Remember all those things I've done? Or sometimes I forget to read my Bible, so I'm definitely not spiritual enough. <laughs> I'm too loud, or I'm too quiet. I struggle with fear. I have self-doubt. I wrestle with anger, God, you know my temper. Or I don't have any special gifts or abilities. I'm ordinary. Most of us, while we know deep down in our hearts that God has a call on our lives, that God has something more for us, we'll dismiss the call, dismiss the invitation because we feel too overwhelmed and too imperfect. We're not superstars. Well, let me tell you something. God does not choose superstars, thankfully. <laughs> Being invited not only means that you are wanted, but God prepares those he invites. God prepares those he invites. So when the invitation comes, it's not a coincidence, it's not accidental, and it is not a mercy invite. We have four children, and probably like a lot of the homes in this room, everybody has jobs to do, chores. Cleaning the bathroom, weeding the, the, you know, the backyard, whatever it may be, everybody's got stuff to do. And our youngest son, Jasper, is three years old. And when he sees everybody setting out to work, and especially when the vacuum comes out of the closet, he gets super excited and he, he wants to help too. And he'll chase me around, my turn, my turn, I want to help. And I look at that sweet, pudgy little face, and I give him a job to do. I just have pity on the poor guy. He wants to be part of it, so I give him a job to do. Now, how many of you know how helpful a three-year-old can be? 
<laughs> they're not helpful at all. <laughs> so typically, Jasper helps, and then we go fix everything when he's done. I think sometimes we get this thought in our head that that's how God works with us, that he has pity on us. We, we really want to do more for him. But, you know, we're, we're not superstars, so he gives us this job knowing that someone else is going to come fix it when we're done. That's not how God works. Jesus did not extend the invitation to the disciples because he felt sorry for them. And he is not inviting us because he has pity on us. It's not a mercy invite. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Another translation says, Long ago, God prepared good works for us to do. So while we were being knit in our mother's womb, God was already preparing good works for us to do. So your past, it was preparing you for the very thing that God is calling you to do right now. Your loudness or your quietness, they're all necessary for the part you get to play in God's call on your life. Your ordinariness, I, I'm just ordinary, I'm a nobody. Being a superstar is not a prerequisite for accepting the invitation. God's not looking at a resume. He's not trying to measure you up. Are you a three-year-old type of worker or are you a 28-year-old type of worker? That's not that's not it. The prerequisite for God's invitation is actually in the same passage of Scripture up in verse 4. It says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. You and I have been saved by grace, and that's the prerequisite. We didn't have to earn it. We don't have to strive for it. It's a gift. And if you can remember that moment when you, were, when you found Jesus, you accepted him, we were flooded with the love of Christ in that moment, flooded with the love of Christ. And 2 Corinthians tells us that that love compels us. Christ's love compels us. Compels us to what? To action. And let me tell you, when you accept that invitation, you get to fully embrace the extent of God's love for you. It's powerful. I love what William Barclay writes regarding this. He says, we know what God wants us to do. God has prepared long beforehand the kind of life he wants us to live. He has told us about it in this book and through his son. We cannot earn God's love, but we can and must show how grateful we are for it by seeking with our whole hearts to live the kind of life which will bring joy to God's heart. We were rescued by love and grace. God has given us an invitation which we have been prepared in advance to do. And with his grace and his love, we are compelled to action initially with the response. And we have to take action because the stakes are too high. I have good news and bad news when it comes to uh, what God is doing in Africa. The good news is in the last 20 years, People who have been coming to Christ and the Assemblies of God has gone from about 2 million to about 25 million. And that rate of, of growth is not stopping. However, there still remain 240 million people in sub-Saharan Africa alone that have never even heard about Jesus. That's about one-third of the continent, never heard the name of Jesus. That's 867 unreached people groups that don't even have access to a life-giving church. And the competition is stiff. The king of Saudi Arabia is pouring billions of dollars in, in southern Africa to plant mosques every six kilometers. They believe if they build it, the Muslims will come. So you can see that there's competition. And although we're numerically growing, although people are coming to Christ, we have a crisis on our hands, a crisis of discipleship. We lack the ability to train healthy leaders to spiritually 
lead newly planted churches. It's been said that the church in Africa is a mile wide, but it's an inch deep. And I was taught the song to be deep and wide. There's simply not enough healthy leaders that are being trained to ensure that churches are healthy and life-giving. And, and this, is giving, this is showing a problem now in a number of incidences throughout Southern Africa that is causing distress. You see, I didn't know if you knew this or not, but there's more cell phone users in Africa than anywhere else in the world. It's easier to put up a cell phone tower than to run a phone line. But Ravi Zacharias, the great Christian apologist, says don't confuse a smartphone for a wise phone. That not everything you see on it is true. But because pastors are lacking access to good training, they're going online and they're looking for anything that's glitzy, glamorous, and seemingly successful, and they'll embrace it and put it into practice. The problem is, much of this is not biblical, and it's creating abuses. And then certain nations, the South African government, is now taking notice of these abuses and is considering forming a government coalition to oversee what pastors can preach and teach on a weekly basis. I'm not comfortable with that. But there is a solution. It's training healthy pastors who know how to rightly divide the word of truth. If we do not address these issues, then all the blood, sweat, toil, and tears that missions has been put into Africa in the last couple of generations could be eroded. And I'm not being alarmist. The fact is, the enemy wants to take those souls. How much more should we want those souls? That's why we believe that spirit-filled, biblically trained leaders are the hope of Africa. And we believe that Malawi is that modern-day Galilee. Let me take you there. Go ahead and roll that. Although it's the small, one of the smallest and poorest countries, Malawi is setting the standard in leadership development. People are sending their leaders all over Africa and all over the world to Malawi to be trained as leaders. But without a commitment to, to missions and leadership development, resourcing them, again, all the work that we hope to accomplish may not be accomplished. The time is critical. The Great Commission, I'm calling it the Great Invitation to preach the gospel and to make disciples cannot be accomplished without the strategic point of engagement in Africa. So the Slater Six, your missionaries are willing to leave the comfort zone for the growth zone. But the challenge is, again, the invitation is to you. Are you giving to missions on a regular basis? I know that doesn't sound comfortable, but that's part of the invitation to be fully invested, involved personally in proclaiming the gospel and moving it forward. So we're gonna leave and go to our growth zone where are you? How are you? What are you going to do to leave your comfort zone? It all begins with responding to the invitation. Follow me. You know, Jesus didn't die to make us comfortable. And our significance is not in what we can accumulate in this world, either through material or experience. But John York says our significance is measured by the cause that we live for and the price that we're willing to pay to accomplishment. Jesus is still in the business of inviting people to follow him. And even regardless of your age or stage of life, there's still room on the team for you. If you're retired, what are you gonna do with your life? Why don't you come to Africa and teach a class or, or build something short term? Love to talk to you about that. If you're young, middle-aged, or maybe you're considering, a, you just know you're doing a job, but it's not your calling, would you consider perhaps Jesus is inviting you out of your comfort zone into the growth zone? We're gonna encourage you to resolve to continue to dream and we invite you to send us and to go with us, to follow us on our social media, to pray for us, to commit to regular giving. So there's something about the giving, it's not the dollars, but it's just the connection that you're vested in, you're concerned about your investment. And so you go with us, but we invite you into 
this adventure. Jesus is inviting you. The power and invitation is not that it's been extended, but whether or not you accept it. And the point of decision is yours. What are you gonna do now that you know that Jesus is inviting you to reach the world for him? The choice is up to you. Dream big and follow through. Thank you.